If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swantoski. I'm the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. All right, we're halfway through season seven of the podcast and we're ready to tackle a topic that we've all been looking forward to for a long time. This one is about small stream fishing, specifically what we love about the places, the fish, the tactics, and the experience of fishing smaller trout water. These are trout streams that are no wider than the dirt road that you drove in on. And for every blue ribbon trout river, for every destination water that is raved about in the guidebooks and makes every angler's bucket list, there are numerous tributaries to these main rivers that are mostly overlooked. We see this everywhere we go. Small streams kind of get no respect. They're mostly an afterthought. They're rarely fished until the waters are high in the main rivers, whereupon the tribs are visited by a couple anglers who want to at least get a few casts in for the day. So those anglers find the nearest trib, park at the first pull-off, gear up, and start fishing by the vehicle. But small stream trips like this are rarely successful, and the joy of fishing these waters is mostly missed because the water, the location, and the experiences are all subpar when you do it that way. Now, I'm exaggerating the point a bit here, because there are certainly small stream devotees out there, guys who make narrow mountain water their primary pursuit. And I think all of us here tonight, the Troutbitten crew that I have here with me, have gone through phases of focusing on small streams where we've chosen to hike and fish these narrow waters for the lessons they provide and for the pure enjoyment of the adventure. So in tonight's discussion, we will not try to tackle everything about small stream fishing. That would be a foolish goal because it's far too much for just one podcast. But small stream fly fishing for trout will be a great topic for a multi-part trout pit and skills series that I'm sure we'll publish someday in the future. And there we can dig into the locations and the tactics and much more. But for this episode, let's just walk through what we love about fishing small streams. How are these fishing experiences valuable? 
what is so attractive about these places, and why do we keep going back? I'm sure we'll also get into some of the tactics here and a whole lot more too. That's what makes these discussions fun. So let's get this kicked off by introducing my Troutbit and friends. Let's start by welcoming back to the country, back to Pennsylvania, back to our rivers, and back to the podcast, world traveler, Austin Dando. Hey now. Hey now. World traveler. You know, I wasn't a world traveler a couple weeks ago. Had you had a passport before this? Yeah, but I never used it. All right. <laughs> I got a passport in like 2016 because I was going to Montana. I thought maybe I'll end up in Canada, so I should get sure. a passport. Hmm. And then I never went to Canada. So I used it now. Canada would not have made you a world traveler anyway. Yeah, it doesn't count. Still North America. <laughs> How'd it go, man? It was great. Tell us about the fishing. Yeah, so the fishing, um, a fellow reached out after my uh, selfish plea for, for guidance yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, his name is Bastion. He writes a, a blog uh, called Alpin Forelli, which means alpine trout. Oh, that's cool. And uh, Bastion met my wife and I, Paige. He drove two and a half hours to pick us up at our wow. Airbnb. No. Wow. Took us to a stream, brought us uh, smoked meats, cheeses, breads. He brought oh us uh, cookies and cakes that his mom baked. They were <laughs> hey, now. I'm telling you, man. We, we got there. We ate lunch on the bank. We just, you know, talked about the streams there and the streams back in Pennsylvania. And uh, just kind of showed us around and answered a bunch of our curiosities about Switzerland. And uh, How cool. we didn't end up catching any fish, but it was a, a great experience and a super, super nice guy uh, that Bastion was. Did you at least offer him the the same hospitality level if he ever visits. Oh, yeah. I told him. I said, you ever think about coming to the States? And he says, yeah, it's kind of hard to leave here. And, you know, I don't blame him because (laughs) the scenery in the the wilderness is so amazing. But I did bring him some leaders at least. Oh, that's really neat. All that because you're a trout bitten guy. Yeah. That's super cool. And a broken heels. Did you give him a broken heels? (laughs) I didn't have any broken heels all along. (laughs) He drank it all before he got (laughs) it. Jeez, man. But uh, Switzerland was beautiful, uh, very, very quiet, very quaint. Uh, the mountains are massive, and you can practically see them no matter where you are. And um, just very laid back, nice, nice people. And we went to yeah. Italy the second week, and it was kind of, kind of the opposite. It was much more fast paced. Uh, the people are, they're also very nice, but they're just a little bit more intense. And they they have very narrow roads, and they drive very fast, and there's like no laws <laughs> on the streets and the food was delicious, um, but just a little bit more fast-paced than Switzerland was for us. Hmm. Yeah. Good change-up. That's cool, though. Well, yeah. Welcome back. Thanks. It's nice to be back. By the last couple of days, I was ready to be back in Pennsylvania. That's always a good vacation when you get toward the end and you go, you know, I'm kind of ready to go back. Yeah. You were there long yep. enough, and yeah, you got things you love back home. Exactly. Happy that's to a be good home. feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really good feeling. You know what I mean? <laughs> At the end of a trip, you're like, I'm ready. I'm okay. Yeah. Okay, so last night we were going to meet up. My dad and I are camping up on the mountain. You were going to meet a, meet us up there. And instead, I got a text from you that said, hey, I'm not making it. Uh, I, uh, what'd you say? I took on some water. <laughs> took on some water. I took on some water. And yeah, I'm I got going a little home overconfident. To get warm. <laughs> was me, uh, me, Bill, and my wife Paige and I were fishing together last night. Yeah. And uh, Bill was distracting me as I was cross- crossing a heavy riffle. And, it's uh, Bill's fault. Yeah. Basically just, you know, Bill was, yeah, it's Bill's fault. The side of me took on some water. I didn't go completely under, but it's <laughs> enough to make me cold by the time the, the end of the night rolled around. They'll fall in. Bill 
strategically did all the opposite tactics we talked about last week <laughs> right. to set you up for a slam. Right. I was going to say, didn't, didn't you listen to the podcast last week? Well, he week was just was, like, you know, we were talking about the last time we fell in the water. He said it had been two years or something for yeah. him. Yeah, he's lying. Meanwhile, Whatever. I saw him slip on the YouTube video, so there's no way in hell that guy <laughs> hasn't fallen in in two years. That was his first step into the river. Well, he's was. like eight feet That's, tall, so he, it's harder for him to take on water than it is for me. I'm five eight. Meanwhile, to all the audience listening, he texted us about two hours ago and said he's tired Too from tired. fishing. But <laughs> I will say there's no way in hell that guy didn't eat today in the river <laughs> if he's too tired to be on the podcast. So he was slipping, sliding, and falling in all day. Right. Oh, man. I guess he's guiding tomorrow. That's a good excuse yeah. to go to bed. Pretty good reason. Yeah, he's out at camp. He would have had to come in and get an internet signal somewhere. So we'll forgive him. But I, come on, he falls in more than he's let <laughs> <Come> on. <laughs> yeah. Austin, you broke yourself in right though. You got back to Pennsylvania. Was that your yeah. first trip back? Yep. Yeah. yeah the yeah, cool. day after we got back. Yep. So it was That's nice. Neat. Back on the home water. Nice to have you. Missed you. Yeah, I missed it too, man. Missed All your you expertise on the podcast. Yeah. What's your yeah. specialty? What's your specialty, you think? Oh, my specialty? Yeah. I, what? Um, What's your perspective? What do you bring? What's unique to you? I bring a lot of general knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Generally non-specific. <laughs> I don't know. I like to keep things light. Mm-hmm. At the same I time, feel, hopefully provide some details. I feel like you have something useful in every situation. <laughs> Very general. Every situation. Good. Uh, you have good common sense. See? Hey, <laughs> all right, that's likable. That's Trevor Smith over there talking. Likeability. What is he? He's likable. Did you yeah, say? I think. I mean, I think we established he's the most likable on the podcast. Right. Who's the least likable? Ooh. Hey, no. That's. I mean, it's probably old me. streams. Old small stream Sally. <laughs> it small, might be no, Matt. no. That's likable. That's really likable. He's got that. Come on. That sweet Based on accent. the comments, Dom. He's the can, most offensive. Yeah. Matt's the most offensive. Mm-hmm. Matt, Matt's the one who who will. Well. Be the most brave about telling it exactly like it is. <laughs> I think Bill gets the most fan love, though. He does, know, right? Yeah. Right? He's yeah. a, such a strong yeah. personality that way. He is. Everybody's like, oh, I love that Bill guy. When we did the new new trail event and whatever, <laughs> yeah. some some of the other stuff we did, people are like, oh, Bill Dell's here. I'm like, yep, there's Bill Dell. Five Fisher yeah. show, right? Everybody <laughs> wanted a picture with Bill. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Or something. Gotta love it. Yep. It's yep. funny. Let me have you guys just say hello then. Let's say hi to Matt, Matt Grobe. What's up, bud? Back just to the closet. It, just telling it like it is. <laughs> there to tell it like it is. That's I told it. you, Madison, your daughter snuck into the into the closet last time and yes. uh, she made the podcast. I think that's amazing. And I hope this week she already forgot where I'm located on Monday nights. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a funny moment. I just left it in there. It's funny. Hey, Mr. Trevor, Dr. Trevor. Howdy, howdy. He gets mad if you don't address him as doctor. You guys know that? I'm pretty pretentious. It's not mister, it's doctor. Come on. Yeah. I make other kids call me that when people bring their children over. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Mr. Trevor. It's doctor. It's doctor. Thank you. It's doctor. (laughs) Anything special? Doctor, major, Trevor Smith. That's right. A little bit of everything. Mm. No, I mean, I had a nasal septal repair to like a week and a half ago. Oh yeah. So that's why you weren't yeah. here last week. That's why I wasn't here. I was, I had bandages over my face and if I talked, I started to bleed. So I was like, well, mm. that would have been awesome. Sit out one. Yeah, I know. I know. Would you do that yourself on the ping pong <laughs> table? <Yeah. laughs> Here's your specialty, Austin. Good job. Well, it started on the ping pong table, but it ended up in the hospital. <laughs> 
it went, everything went well. I'm, I went, today was my first day back to work. So I'm, that wore me out a little bit getting back in the routine, but mm. it was good. Feeling better. Yeah. There you go. You look yeah. good. Hey, you shoot a turkey yet? No, you, no, I did not. I haven't even been out turkey hunting. Isn't that crazy? I've been mm. tying a lot of these. I know. Nice. <laughs> pen dragon. Yeah. That's right. He just held up a pen dragon, uh, which, yeah. which many people ask me for that pattern, Trevor. And I always yeah, hand them off to you because yeah. I'm like, it's not my pattern. I don't really want to yeah. give away the, the for secrets. Sure. Yeah, Josh and I figure we'll eventually do a video just so that it's out there. It's easier than telling people individually about it. <laughs> I'm sure they get in touch with you too. Yeah, well, yeah. Because I hand them off to you. That's okay. Yeah, I don't get on for, for whoever messages me i get on instagram about once a month so i often see like the last month of messages and yeah. then respond to a couple of them so i'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be your most reliable guy josh is probably better at it a little bit but not necessarily <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. a little busy too we should say josh isn't here tonight because he just had yeah numero tess four oakley four yeah yeah tess, tess oakley, oakley darling darling yep beautiful what she's like 24 hours old now yep yeah <laughs> So yeah. he's got his hands full. Yeah, literally. Because let's remember, he has already three other kids. <laughs> right. All, all quite young. Good, good man. He's a brave right. man. <laughs> How about it? Whew. Yeah. All right, then. Hey, let's, uh, let's move into the listener question. I have another one that kind of sets up this discussion pretty well. In truth, this is another question that bumped the topic up to the top of our list for episodes. It just seemed like a good time to talk about small stream fishing. And Sam Allworth from Lions Falls, New York, sent in this question through email. Trevor, you're our designated reader. Yeah. <laughs> you want to read this one, please? I do. Hello, Dominic. Thanks for all the great videos, podcasts, and articles. I discovered your whole project through the podcast, and I'm amazed at the depth of the work you're providing. Please thank all of your partners for me as well. After searching through your material, there's one question I haven't been able to find your opinion on. I'm a small stream aficionado, focusing mostly on small mountain streams of upper New York. I've taken to fly fishing these streams exclusively, but I find that the casting can be very difficult, especially in the smallest valleys. What's your advice for tight quarters casting? And are there some streams that are just so closed in that you won't fish them? I'm submitting this question officially for your podcast crew. Sam Allworth. Discuss. Discuss it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, small stream stuff, when it gets tight quarters like that and the casting becomes a issue, bow and arrow cast, I find myself using quite a bit because it eliminates the back cast piece. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really effective one if you're going to venture out into mountain streams in the East Coast. And, you know, I find myself using it a little bit less out West because our streams are a little bit more open. Yeah. But bow and arrow cast is a must and if it's really tight the type of fishing you do yeah. you know is is should be considered so if it's really tight i'll i'll actually throw a streamer on yeah and oh matt might throw a streamer that's the only time i fish streamers yeah no out of a boat and then <laughs> a small trout. stream and sometimes it's just the best tactic right because yeah. you're not worried about uh the flotation of a dry fly yeah. or a proper drift with the nymphs. You can kind of just let that streamer drift down in a plunge pool yeah. and then strip it back and, and, and have the right angle for your rod to make that work appropriately. So nice. I, that, that's my recommendations. 
bow and arrow cast is a good recommendation there. I, people make way too much of that. Like it's it's not hard. It's not at all hard. No. And people make just a really big deal out of them. Yeah. They complicate yeah. it, right? Yeah. Anyway, I will say, I mean, that's a good problem solver. For me, it's a once in a while thing. If I find a stream that is so choked with with brush that I have to do one bow and arrow cast after another after another and I can't actually cast, then for me, much of the enjoyment is out of it. Bow and arrow casts are good, you know, problem solvers, but it, it takes a minute, not a full minute, but it takes probably about 30 seconds to set up your, for the next bow and arrow cast, you know? Or at least 20 seconds, bring it in again, and you understand. And so, yeah, if it's that tight, and that's my answer to Sam, then I, I'd prefer to not fish it. I will say, you'll find plenty of areas of a stream that are really tight, and then you keep walking upstream, and you find, oh, it really opens yeah. up here. You know, that's you're out point. of the floodplain right. or whatever. And so don't give up on it. If, you, if the first place you park at and walk in, perhaps, is, oh, this is really tight, we'll keep exploring. Right. Yeah, it's it's a interestingly timed question as well for me because the other day I was just watching uh, Joe Humphrey's video. I think it's uh, yeah. casting approach to dry fly tactics, mm-hmm. and uh, the last third of the video, especially, he's on small brook trout streams and yeah. he's teaching about how to cast and make presentations within really tightly choked uh, yeah. streams. And you know, the first thing he emphasizes is don't be afraid of hanging up. You know, right. don't be afraid of making the cast. The worst thing you're going to do is lose a fly or uh, you know, get stuck in the brush. But the importance of short casts, mm-hmm. but also the bear, bow and arrow cast, he was doing, mm-hmm. you know, the same way he retrieves line when he's nymphing with his figure eight in his hand. Yeah. Yep. He does the same thing when he makes figure eight casts for distance. So mm-hmm. he's, you know, cramped up between all the branches. He's got his head stuck between one. I and know. He's retrieving that line. His whole leader all the way up until the beginning of this fly line brings yeah. it all the way back, lets it all the way go straight out in front of him. And the whole leader and the whole fly line goes out. I and uh, I mean, I do my best to replicate that. But uh, like you said, it's it's not the most impossible thing in the world. It, it does get a little bit of, um, I don't know, um, mi- mystery around it or yeah. uh, lore around it. But it, it's not that difficult. And it's a great way to get cast in tight spaces. Right on. Tactical Fly Fisher was founded by Fly Fishing Team USA angler Devin Olson to bring anglers cutting-edge gear and techniques from the international competitive fly fishing scene. Tactical Fly Fisher's aim is to help you improve your angling ability so you can have more fun on the water. Whether you need some flies, fly tying equipment, or a new rod or reel, they've got you covered. Head on over to tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TBPOD10. That's TBPOD10 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. For over a decade, Smith Creek has provided innovative, high-quality fly fishing accessories designed to put your gear in easy reach, free up your hands, and keep our waters clean. For 2023, check out the all-new patented tippet holder. Each unit is individually machined from billet aluminum and anodized in two eye-catching colors. They hold up to five tippet spools with a spring-loaded plunger that is quick and easy to use, keeping your tippet spools right where you need them. Also, the brand new Rod Clip Plus comes with an improved 304 steel pin, plus a carabiner clip, giving you two ways to attach it. All Smith Creek products are built guide tough and backed by solid customer service. To learn more about Smith Creek products, visit their website at smithcreek.co. For you guys, does the length of the fly rod you like for small streams play into your casting style at all? Sure. Yeah, I have yeah. a specific 
rod I carry for stream. I mean, mine's a seven foot nine inch three weight, and yeah. that's okay. Uh, bendy and yep. flexy, yep. and I just yeah. really I enjoy you it. had named it bendy. Well, <laughs> you just that's, did. That's bendy. Old Bendy. Old, one over there is Flexi. <laughs> Old Bendy comes with There's me. Flexi. And then yeah. I got an eight foot four weight and we call it Flexi. <laughs> yeah, I have a six and a half foot three weight that I like to fish too. It's a six and a half rod. Yeah. No kidding. For the really small stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it does matter. You get into really, really tight stuff. It isn't small necessarily. I, th- I think we mean when it's real tight. And yeah, I mean, I find that as the years go on, I actually keep fishing longer and long, longer and longer rods in tight cover. I feel like if you know where the tip is, I think you can handle it. That said, there's a certain point where it's so tight, you know, that if you really yeah. want to do any casting, yeah, you'll do better with a shorter rod. My first rod was a seven foot Reddington Red Start. Yeah, seven, not even seven and a half. And I used that for a very long time. The reason I got it is because I grew up fishing really small streams and then i grew into fly fishing the same way so yeah trevor i think the yeah. shorter rods can really benefit you especially if you're kind of just getting into small stream stuff sure what do you think what do you what do you use what's your small stream go to yeah i have an old fenwick um mm-hmm. fly rod that's i think it it officially says it's a four weight but it's super loose oh, it's yeah. fiber it's fiberglass yeah. and that's the one i've always used is it maroon it it, it actually is black and yeah. maroon yeah. Yeah. We have the same one, yeah. Austin. My dad has that rod. I think everybody really? in the 70s and 80s bought that rod. Huh. Weren't quite as many options back then, huh? Yeah, it was the standard. Yeah, that was my first fly rod. I, the other gear thing I'd say to Sam is I like to keep my leader short. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about, you know, long uh, nymphing leaders, and then even my favorite George Harvey dry fly leader is about 10, 12, 14, 16 feet after you put the tippet on there and everything. I don't want to use that in a stream that's pretty tight and I will chop it down and whatever. I just, I have small stream leaders built hand tied too. Um, because you can't really, hmm, that's another point. You can't buy the leader that I want, um, small enough with the taper that I want. I mean, short enough with the taper that I want. Yeah. You can't buy it in the, in the stores. So whatever, I have small stream leaders tied up and they are anywhere from six and a half to maybe eight and a half, maybe nine feet. And that's again, after the tippets on there, but yeah, I'll fish like a six and a half foot leader sometimes. And talk talk me through that because is that primarily because you don't want the fly line inside your guides pulling back on you because you can't lay enough line out on the water? No, or is that that's not yeah. it really? No. Uh, but yeah, I'm happy to talk you through it. I really love fishing dries, and we'll probably get more into this a little bit later. For me, okay. I want to be able to cast dries on a small stream, and if it's that tight, I I bet I can catch them on dries. Um, yeah. But I have to have. The fly line uh, punching through. I feel like I I, yep. I can. I can make nice tight loops and get through some really tight quarters. Yeah. But I need the fly line then to, to... To be doing the work. Yeah, and make the tightest loops possible then with that fly line. That'll carry through uh, a shorter leader. It just makes okay. sense, right? And you'll get full turnover when you want it almost all the time with a leader that short. And mm-hmm. then you could do something. You're not going to get as great of a drag-free drift, of course, but sure. that's the trade-off. You can, but, you can put the fly right where you want it. Yeah. And to piggyback on that, I'm in the exact same boat with Dom mm-hmm. set up with that six, I'd say six feet is kind of my jam. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is your target's small. So there's really no need to have a 
long leader when you're yeah. really just hitting these small pockets. And I'm I'm generalizing most of these small streams sure, as tumble, sure. tumbling brooks or, you know, your pocket water's heavy. I mean, you don't need that long leader to lay out because there's not a ton of, uh, you know, runs, right? And it's safe to say most of them are a lot of pocket water. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Right mm-hmm. on. And you're saying you're not aiming for really long drifts, short drifts, tight targets, all that. Yep. Yeah. You're not going to get a, there's no room to get a 20 foot drift. You know, it's like five, 10 feet. Boom. You're out of there. I think we covered it. I like that. That's good. Is there any stream so small you won't fish it though? Oh yeah, that's fair. That's the last part of the question. What about you, Austin? I mean, going back to what you said, oftentimes if you keep walking upstream, it'll, it'll open up once in a while. But if it's one of those creeks that, I mean, if it's two foot wide and it never opens up, <laughs> yeah. I'm probably not going to spend any time on it because I'm going to be frustrated. Yeah. And if I'm frustrated, I'm probably not having fun. So that's not what I want my fishing experience to be like. Yeah. And for me, it's not about how wide it is, but again, how how much cover there is to get through. I I have fished, Yeah, there you I go. Think, I think probably two foot wide, very, very top of the headwaters, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just, I've found it fun to be like, how far up here can I find fish? And usually it's as far up as you can go. Yeah. That's and a good it, distinction. What the coverage is versus if it's, I mean, if it's wide open, then it's not going to be nearly the same. Yeah. No, I think you covered that well. All right, guys, let's move into it. Here's our topic then. And again, this dovetails right into it. But what do you guys love about small stream fishing? What do you think? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to start with? What do you love about it? I'll jump in first. Yeah. Um, what I love about small stream fishing, I think it takes me back to a time where I was just getting into fishing yeah. in southwestern Pennsylvania where I grew up, where you had a lot of that artificial setup fishing and stocking. And and that's yeah. great, right? We all, we've talked about the benefits of that. But for me to escape to a truly wild watershed where I was growing up led me to the you know, wilderness and the headwaters where the, where the brook trout kind of have been pushed into a small area. And I sought after that wild experience, right? Where you're catching native fish on hand tied patterns. And for some reason that was, that was enough for me to then let it, you know, go nuts. And my desire and passion for the sport just took off and led me to go to college at Penn state because I wanted to fish and, you know, the rest hmm. is history, but it's that, that, it's that very, you know, wild and native opportunity. Um, that's what I loved about small stream fishing and continue hmm. to love. Yeah. I, I'm pretty similar to you grow. I grew up in Northwestern PA and there's a lot of small stream fishing up there. And it was really kind of out of my love for like exploration and discovery that I think yeah. I first went out and fished small streams and I I grew up hunting and that also felt like it felt more like hunting to me where you were yeah. walking into places where you could nice. feel like nobody else had walked in a long time and yes. you would discover a stream or discover fish in that stream and feel legitimately like nobody's ever mm-hmm. seen this fish before mm-hmm. I'm the first you yeah. know and so that purity of experience was really it still kind of has me you know, and I think yeah. it's so different than the bigger waters that we fish that are heavily fished by other fishermen. There's certainly it, its own discover. There, there are plenty of discoveries to be had on those as well, but it's such a different feeling. I love that. Yeah. Small stream fishing for me was, 
and has been sort of always a chance to to reset. So whether it be in my own just regular fishing patterns or if life feels really hectic or uh, just busyness, the small streams allow some sort of escape that forces me to slow down. Um, mm-hmm. I can't be in a, a really tight stream and and just fly through it and wade up through it and uh, you know not pay attention and, and make mistakes. I remember there was a time when I was at Penn State, I worked in the local fly shop and I kind of started to get burnt out a little bit because mm. I'd fish during the week. I know all my friends were fishermen and then I'd yeah. work on the fly shop in the weekends and like, yeah. I'm just tired of the same yeah. old thing over and over. And uh, I think it was you, Dom, who actually sent me some some ideas of places to go up north and escape I remember that. and fish these small streams. And yeah. I did that for a little while and it was like, ah, oh, breath of fresh air. There's no one else around here. There's no expectations. There's no... There's no nothing except me in, in the wilderness and a chance to, you know, kind of breathe out. And uh, that sort of has always carried through. Man, that's great. Every, that's everything really cool. you guys said, I mean, I, I feel like I'm right there with you. Trevor, you said about almost almost the, the novelty of it or the, the, yeah. you know, the, the uniqueness of it. Like maybe nobody has ever fished over these fish right here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, it got me to thinking, too, of how many times I've been up, and we're talking often miles away from even a, the dirt road you parked on, and yeah. you, you you almost you I've run into like logging communities, old like foundations and stuff like that, the the yeah. remnants of our li- logging industry, I should say, right, and just all kinds of very unique things that are still there. It's like the history of the land is still there, especially in these valleys, because yeah. of course a lot of well logging industry and other things, oh, yeah. you know, are right along the streams. And you'll find, again, remnants of people affecting the land and obviously living on the land. And you really yeah. can, you really feel like, wow, nobody's seen this for a while. And maybe, maybe a few hunters. And of course, the yeah. further back you go and the deeper you go into the woods, the more you see that. And for me, oh, like you said, Trevor, I, I, I really value that. I always have. Now I, I'm old enough to understand why I like things and I've, been I've been <laughs> I've been living long enough that I've considered about you know what I like <laughs> what I don't and everything but when I was younger I don't know that I thought about it that that much I just knew that it gave me the feeling small stream fishing gave me the feeling that all of you guys are talking about and, I, and it still does hundred percent those like are that. the main things I think what you guys brought up those are the main reasons I love it I think it's special in the Northeast too because. We live in a relatively populated part of the country, and I think yeah. finding those kind of explorations and those senses of kind of, you know, almost frontiersmanship or just kind of unique yeah. and, and special, and to be able to combine that with fishing, I'd love to walk onto some of our bigger streams and feel like, or rivers, and feel like, gosh, I'm the first guy that discovered this. That yeah, The right. feeling would be awesome, yeah, I know. but it's just not the reality. Yeah. Um, but Grove, I was kind of curious, like in comparison to what you, because you've fished both here and and the West, obviously, and small streams in both locations. Do you still feel that sense out there? Is there, you know, enough pressure on your bigger waterways that you still feel like that that exploration can happen in small oh, yeah. stream settings? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and especially out here, man. The so much wilderness. It's almost endless. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. you can you know you can hike for six straight hours or 10 hours and yeah. find water, which the land is, you know, endless wilderness and it's not bisected by roads. Right. So it's, 
it's almost on steroids, right? Mm, incredible. And when you really yeah. look at a map, um, it truly is endless, right? And and we're fortunate to have cold water and we don't have the population growth. So a lot of the headwaters are so pristine. They all flourish with wild trout and native mm-hmm. trout. And um, I would say it's it's like back home, but on steroids. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity. Now, the one thing I will say is there's a lot of opportunity in a short amount of time because most of those uh, waters, and I would tell you guys, my favorite thing to do out here is to wet wade on small streams and explore because there are so many. They're slightly bigger yeah. than back home and they have a little bit better casting uh, conditions on average, but you got eight weeks to do it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you, Dom, you mentioned the headwaters and when the water's high on the main river, you can go to the the tribs, I think, in the intro. But out here, yeah, really, the the tribs are raging right now, and they're mm-hmm. not going to come down. There, there's only this sweet spot of maybe the end of June mm. till they freeze in mid October that you can really <laughs> get after them, and then that's they're locked up in ice. No kidding, um, that's a good point. So it almost it almost adds to the excitement for me in a mm. way because I know they're off limits for most of the year because right now they're oh, chock full cool. of mud. Yeah, it's cool, but it's it it, well, it, it is cool, yeah. and then too bad and then, almost, yeah, and it's too bad. But having said that, it is it's a small window, right? And so I find myself out in those mountain streams more and more uh, the longer I'm out here, um, because I just really enjoy that solitude, that exploration. What Dom was talking about with the short leader and that small target that I spoke about with the pocket water, yeah. give me a stimulator. And I'll go all day in that stuff (laughs) and I'll catch, you know, I tell people all the time, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but most of the trout, I think it's safe to say on average are smaller than the big river. And there's always those exceptions. Mm -hmm. And we've proven that there's some really big fish in places, um, at times, but on average they're smaller. And when you look at the industry today and you know, it's crowded out there. I think we see it from coast to coast. It's almost like the anti, like it brings you back to why you mm. got into the sport. And mm. if you can't appreciate catching a six inch fish on a, on a bushy dry fly, well, I was joke with I mean, you shouldn't be fishing, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, yeah. and that's, right. well, you know, that's fun. That's a good yeah. time. Yeah. Um, that's why I fell in love with the sport. And I always try to bring myself back to that in the, in the summer months. Imagine if someone put as much time, thought, and effort into designing fishing apparel as you put into finding fish. Well, someone did. Squala Fly Fishing builds waders, jackets, shirts, and pants so well-designed, dependable, and comfortable, you hardly notice them. When you're wearing Squala, you're never hot or wet or unreasonably cold, so you can focus on more important things, like fishing. They don't make gear for everybody. They make gear for us. The like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Then use the code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your first order from Squalla. As fly anglers and tires, we understand the value of having the right tool for the job. Avidmax.com offers over 20,000 products and the knowledge to help you find the right tool for your job whether that be at the tying bench or on the water. Listeners of the Trout Pitten Podcast receive a special one-time discount code at avidmax.com. Enter the code TB10 
at checkout on full-priced items to save 10% off your order. Orders over $25 ship for free, so you can put more gas in your tank or beer in your cooler. For all things fly fishing and tying, elevate your game with Avid Max. Grobe, you're talking about solitude. Uh, now, in the past, you, you told me stories about you'll actually hike up some small streams in order to get into other small streams, to get into other small streams, to, <laughs> to not trespass or get out of the water. That's sure. pretty extreme in terms of solitude and, and hiking up small streams. Is that something you still do? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's one of the one of the positives about the stream access law in Montana. I mean, yeah. You can just go, right? You don't have to think twice about where you're headed. So if you look at a map and you have a legit access, I've hiked up four miles in the river bottom before <laughs> wading upstream to get into a trib to wade up a mile to hit another trib and i'm not mm-hmm. joking i mean it's, and amazing, it's exhausting yeah. and it's you know not every it's not for everybody and i quite honest i might do it once yeah or twice a year, a year. yeah um and i'm very selective and who i'll mention you know those experiences too mm-hmm. people that would appreciate it you know and not abuse it and do it once a year um but that opportunity exists. And, it, and look, I think it could exist, you know, anywhere, right? If you look hard enough um, and you look at a trib, do a trip, all the tribs have tribs, you know, and right, right. you can have, you can have that, that experience if you want it, but there's always that fear of missing out yeah. at times, right? Um, especially out here when you have that small window to fish those mountain creeks, you know, are you going to pass up a day on the Madison River? Uh, you know, and I get it. That's hard. That's, that's a hard, that's a hard pass when it's in its prime and you're mm. in the, in the, in there eating dry flies. But, um, you know, I have the benefit to live here. Right. Yeah. And so, and you guys get it, Dom, you moved to, you know, it probably took a while for you to, to get off those famous waters and, and start exploring. Right. Actually did it the opposite. <laughs> so you guys know a little bit of my history and I was gone for about a year, but when I came for three years, really, when I came back, I was so into the small stream fishing, Matt, that I just kept going north of here, north of here. It's awesome. And fishing yeah. all the the main rivers that are up there and then all the tributaries, I mean. And I had so much history there. I had my dog and I was exploring. I had uh, Nissan Xterra. I would often sleep in the back of it and everything. I loved that experience so much, just having the topo map and the Dwight Landis Trout Streams sure. of Pennsylvania book. And yeah. I've talked about that. We love that book. Yeah. <laughs> but that's actually what I did for almost the first whole year that I was here. I hardly touched our big four limestoners. I mean, it, sure. it, it was, it, it's kind of very backwards, I guess, from what most people would do, but it's, it, I was into it. I, I loved that solitude, everything we've talked about, that purity of experience. And I, you guys know me, when I'm really focused on one thing, I just kind of keep doing it until, sure. gonna, until I kind of get tired of it or I feel like, okay, yeah. I learned a lot from that. You never learn everything, but I I think I kind of was like, okay, I really, you know what I learned the most? I learned all these streams and all these access areas and all these places that I was like, oh, these are great streams. And now I just fall back on that knowledge. Sure. Back then, in 03, I didn't have the, uh, I didn't didn't have kids and all the responsibilities that I do now. (laughs) So I honestly do not have time just to explore. We got baseball and I got two kids, you know, obviously with into a bunch of stuff and the business and everything. I don't have time. I don't right now in my life have time to explore small streams the way I'd love to. But I can fall back on all of the experiences. I took some notes, mm-hmm. but I didn't I don't even need those notes. I know I could I could rattle off a bunch of my favorites right now and I could be there in an hour, hour and a half. 
point this out. We're talking about solitude and hiking in and this purity of experience, kind of. Um, our local rivers have tributaries, but many of them run right beside a road or, well, that's what it usually is. It's right beside a road. One of them goes right up through a factory, you know, or an old yeah. factory. And that's not, that's not what I'm looking for when I fish small streams. And I have fished all of those, like I know you guys have too. And it's not that it's a bad experience, but it's not what I'm looking for. When I fish a small stream, I want to do what we're talking about. And I have found a lot of that in the state forest lands and things like that. And you can hike and just go for a while and then stop and fish. Yep. That gave me chills listening to you talk about the bet, you know, just camping in the back of your your car. And that's, that's, uh, I'm in the same, different, but same stage of life with kids and you know it becomes more of a challenge to do that and i find myself annually been going out into yellowstone for two nights three days to kind of like fill my void of uh that true wilderness experience and you know everybody thinks about the famous rivers in the park but if you really pull up your topo map and look at that and that's you know is there anything more there's pristine than Yellowstone National Park in right. its backcountry. I mean, and it's true wilderness. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it, and, and you, you can look at blue lines all through there and go nuts on, on backpacking and you have to backpack in designated areas, but I've been making that a habit the last three years. Um, I would love to, that'd be a fun trip for all of us one day yeah, to just get that. out and, and do something of, of, with that in mind and, and escape. Hmm. And that would be pretty cool. I have people yeah. uh, on a fairly regular basis ask me why I don't write more about small stream fishing or why we haven't talked about it yet or we haven't done videos and stuff. And I've thought about that. And I guess there are two reasons. First of all, like I said, I don't do it as much as I used to, and I will do it in my off seasons. However, in the last few summers, uh, it's been very low and clear for like three years, really low, clear conditions that are not ideal for these small stream, uh, for, for this small stream fishing. But the other thing is, I'm not sure I want to share it. You know, and it's sure. such a, it's such a, yeah. I'm out there for solitude. I don't want to film. Uh, you know, I'm out there for that, what we're talking about. And I, that's when I'm out there, I don't want to be thinking about, I need to get this shot mm-hmm. or take, I don't take pictures of the fish when I'm out there, you know, I, I don't know. It's it would, interesting to hear. Yeah. And here we are yeah. talking about it. I'm glad to talk about it, you know, and I told you guys before, I kind of have a, a series started that I call the Blue Liners Bible, which will be. So I'm trumpeting someday. I don't know when. I don't know when. Maybe make a book out of it and everything. But happy to share. I think it's a good name. Happy to share these thoughts and these things. But I I hope people will receive it the right way. You know, I don't want. I, sure. I'm going to tell you, like, you can go out there and catch 50 brook trout a day. You want to catch 50? Go ahead. <laughs> like, right? A lot right. of times. Sure. A lot of times they're pretty willing fish. But they shouldn't. you shouldn't be out there for numbers. Right. And I hesitate to even say that because it is not about that. And I just, again, I, w- I would hope people would kind of receive that information the right way. That's all. I think I'd much rather give out a big fish spot than I would my solitude, like fairly good dry fly fishing trip. Yeah. Just because of what you said, Dom. Like, mm. it, you know, it's almost like I, always, I tell people, it's like you got to earn you're yeah. right to this river or I say river. I meant, I mean, stream, right. Yeah. It's like, nah, you know, that's when I draw the line. I'm like, this one, yeah. this one, you got to find on your own. Like, yeah. 
you know, it's, it's meant to be discovered. It's not meant to be a handout. And, you know, there's spots I have out here that, you know, I'll, I'll keep close to my chest and all for a 10 inch cutthroat. Grobe family blood. It's just, yeah, that's right. That's Mad- cool. Madison will know. <laughs> well, I mean, I like hearing awesome. you guys talk through that perspective because I do think that it's a little bit the antithesis of some of like, and and I don't I don't want to generalize too badly, but of some social media fishing culture, which is very much more driven by numbers or the impressive size or big trout, just kind of yeah. right big fish, and and so I think it's cool to hear you talk about the value even in a value hierarchy that puts that small stream experience to the forefront in your minds, because I think it's, it's cool. And I think it, it really says something about you guys as fishermen and kind of being in it for the right reasons. And it's no hit on anybody who's never small stream fished, but I just think your priorities seem to be in the right place. If you had, you took 10 anglers Trevor and and put them in a small stream situation and let them fish for the day. I honestly don't think, I think seven of them wouldn't enjoy it. Personally, I, mm-hmm. I mean, if they, they get frustrated with the casting, the tight right. quarters, the fish are small. So yeah. because of that, I think it's a small percentage of folks that can find what we're talking about here and enjoy it. Right, which. I mean, you're not appealing to the masses when you're talking about small stream fishing. That's right. Sure. It's a good point. So I've heard people say that small streams don't get the same attention as their big brother rivers, right? Because anglers are secretive. And here we're kind of talking, like Matt, you said, well, I'm not telling anybody, like anybody, (laughs) the name of my favorite, you know, my favorite small stream. But do you guys think it's that? Do you think, hmm, do you think that's why these small rivers don't get the attention is because people don't talk about them or do you think it's something else? And I, I think we acknowledge it, it is also because people have a difficult time fishing them. But basically like why aren't small streams more well known as sort of these go-to destinations? I think they get overlooked. Go ahead. Because you, know, you go back to the, the big brother stream and the big brother stream is the one that the books are written about and everybody's yeah. going to and the accesses are full and it's inconvenient to go ahead and say, "Oh, I drove all the way this out, or I drove all the way out here to get to this main river." Yeah. And instead of doing this thing that I planned in my head for the last couple of weeks, I'm going to go up this small, inconvenient, tightly brush-strewn uh, stream and, and try to make my way through that. Mm-hmm. I also don't think that there's so many small streams with brook trout in them compared to big name rivers that the the proportion or the ratio of popularity is just completely askew. Mm-hmm. So it. it gives people the opportunity to spread out and discover one thing at a time and and give you the chance to, a lower chance of running into another angler just because of the sheer number of small streams going <laughs> into one main river. There you go. Yeah. So I don't know, that has to play a big factor. It's hard for like just one to become famous in a way. Yeah. yeah. We should say too, like you, you mentioned brook trout. I said brook trout. We catch a lot of wild browns, small or larger wild browns in these streams. And of course, cutties, you know, out west. Yep. Whatever, right? But usually it's what you brought up from the beginning, Matt, like wild fish, sometimes native fish. It's a big yeah, deal. It's interesting. It's interesting to find where they're residing, right? They're up against climate issues, 
you know, that have shrunk their home range yeah. uh, for the past, what, you know, 30, 40 years. And you look at their home ranges and they're shrinking on maps. For me, it's always been interesting to see where they've, you know, relocated to and where they're flourishing. And oftentimes it's in the, the most healthy watersheds with mm. the best water. Um, I enjoy looking for that, whether it's back in Pennsylvania or out West. I mean, even yeah. the cutthroat, the cutthroat have been on, on the same trajectory as the Eastern brook trout. It's just the water here and the elevation is colder and higher. So it's prolonged what inevitably will occur. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're in more water currently, but that's changing and that can change every year, you know, and, and that to me, it's like, wow, man, I'm catching that native fish and, yeah. you know, who knows how long they'll be around. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, and we point. love, I, and I'm saying I love my brown, like I love brown trout. I love rainbow trout. Right. Um, but when I'm in the mood, I want to catch native fish, whether that's <laughs> a brook trout or a cutthroat trout. Yeah. Or white fish. I, <laughs> I leave those for sloop. <laughs> oh, come on. Hey, now. <laughs> Trevor, you have something? No, I mean, I was going to talk a little bit just about some of the the less sexy parts of small stream fishing, which are just that, you know, you, you're typically fishing in foliage-covered areas, you know. And so for some people that really dislike or kind of don't enjoy the summer heat, a small stream experience can be a way to get away from that a little bit. There you um, go. Or, you know, and there are even locations where you can – start the morning on a bigger stream and then spend the the hot heat of the day oh, kind yeah. of working up into kind of a remote area. So, More shade too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so I think keeping your mind open to those kind of situations and experiences, I think we all talked a little bit about how some of the best small streams might be pretty far away from our bigger rivers, but there are also a fair number of them that that are fishable right from the bigger main stem right up into a tributary. Yeah. And you can spend an entire afternoon fishing those. And and honestly, in the summertime when the thermal pressures mm-hmm. push some of the fish out of our larger waterways, you can find good and, and even outsized fish in those small streams taking thermal refuge. Good point. Yeah, and can I bring up a question to the crew? I mean, do you guys feel like that's inappropriate? at that time because that's always a thing mm. uh to, to target those fish mm. on in uh thermal refuge areas i'll i have no issue with it as long as it's not at the mouth and right. they're stacked at the mouth if they right, penetrate yeah. the system i think they're all fair game and mm-hmm. a smart angler would seek that for success right yeah a hundred percent and what are you throwing it up against like some guy that's going to catch them in 70 degree water and, and potentially kill that fish sure. versus he's sitting in 60 degree small stream and mm-hmm. it's an act, you know, yeah. that fish is going to survive that experience much right. more easily. So I think it's a better, yeah, it's both more ethical. I don't think, like you said, Grove, I don't think it's very fun to catch a bunch of fish that are stacked up at a, yeah. at a spring, you know, I just don't right. particularly sure. enjoy that. I don't know that right. I would go as far as to say that it's, um, unethical but it doesn't seem very sporting for sure yeah yeah basically if the fish are in distress at all i do i feel like that's not sporting or it is yeah yeah, it's unethical and i'm not interested in doing that but as soon as you said like you said matt as soon as they get up in there and they spread out and man i'm thinking of some great areas again north of here where every every year 
the fishing can be <laughs> fantastic up in those trips. Like I said, the last few years, it has not been. It's been so low and clear that every, I mean, they're so ultra spooky. And it's not yeah. that you can't get it done, but it's one of the only times that I see trout actually spooking from my fly line, casting in the air, even when I think I'm yeah. as discreet as I possibly can be. And I mean, every footfall just seems to spook trout too. And it, I mean, hey, maybe I, I can't meet that challenge, I guess. Um, and maybe someday I will. But to me, it's, it's become less enjoyable in the last few years, whatever. And, and I'm looking forward to having a, just even a, a regular water year where I can kind of get back into that. Maybe I'm making excuses too, because like I said, life is, life is just a lot busier. And I haven't uh, tried it in the last few years as much either. And at times that I've gone, I've been a little bit disappointed. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Like, Matt, what you're talking about, those couple days in Yellowstone and the backcountry, like, yep. I need to do that. And I can think yep. of exactly where I need to go to go do it. And uh, I might camp or I might, now I have a forerunner. I might just do it in the back of my forerunner. Sure. Take my dog. That was another thing, man. It, mm. That's why I fished those small streams too. I've often told you just the connection I have with that border collie, named him Dylan, that he really got, he really helped me kind of find good purpose in my life. It kind of took me on a good path in life. I, I was responsible for him and, and so on. But he also drew me back into the woods. I started hiking a lot. And right away, I was like, why am I hiking? I need a fly rod. Let's go, you know. Sure. And he loved that so much. <laughs> he didn't care. He didn't care for it when I would just kind of, well, I'll fish a bigger river where you're not covering much water, relatively speaking. Because what we, I think what we're all talking about is you're fishing a river that's what, 10, 15, maybe 20 feet wide. Maybe 30 is starting to be not a small river. But anyway, you're fishing these small streams and we're wading upstream. You could wade downstream, but you're covering water. You're not standing in one spot for very long. And you can cover literally miles of water in a day. Dylan loved that. And I mean, he just loved it. He hungered for it. And when we do it a couple of days in a row, I mean, I just never saw him happier. And I'm definitely looking forward to getting back into that, getting river my Australian shepherd now, getting him into that a lot more uh, than I am right now. Cool. I said, just listening to you talk about all that, it just makes makes you want to embrace that and do it as much as possible. And if you're listening and you're young and don't have all these responsibilities that the trout bitten crew's <laughs> yapping about, do it now. Uh, encourage you to do it now and, uh, you know, take the road less traveled and it, it can definitely be rewarding uh for forever right dom you're holding on yeah, to experiences right. you've had for a long time and likewise i am as well and those those experiences are valuable whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire you can bet the trout bitten crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us it's honestly our favorite beer this hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby-red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail Beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well-fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Trout Bitten's favorite beer. You guys know that, is it a book maybe, the book title is Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? 
Yeah. Right? yeah. And now they say, I mean, there's even everything I need to know I learned by watching Star Wars and everything. Everybody yeah. said, everything I need to know I learned on small stream trout water. Love and it. I, I feel like that's, and Matt, you said fish in these waters can really set you up for, for the future. Sure. And, and not just the experiences and stuff, but I'm saying technically it will make you yeah. a good angler. You cannot get away from, you have to develop good casting. You can't get away from it on a small stream. There is no forgiveness. You must be able to form tight loops. No matter what your system is, you have to be able to punch it in there. You have to be accurate. There, there's no forgiveness on these small sure. stream waters. And it will teach you how to read water, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You know, Austin? Yeah. I was going to say, think about how much we talk about fishing the tight targets, whether it's streamer fishing or niffing or dry fly fishing. What else emphasizes having to fish the tight targets and really, uh, really quick drifts as well than small stream fishing? I mean, right. you get one chance. Put that fly exactly where you want it on the first try. Get a good clean drift. Take it out. Move on. You know, That's right. A couple try. steps. But That's right. it all translates. And once you kind of get used to that environment, and then you go out onto a bigger stream or a bigger piece of water. It's like, oh, wow. Now I'm really comfortable. I'm really dialed in. And yeah. you can you can keep building upon those same principles, and sure. and you're not all over the place because you're you're used to keeping things tight and close and fast. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just the building blocks. Building blocks are huge, and you know I would I will say that one misconception um, with small stream fishing, at least from my experience, is you know the fish will eat anything. Oh, and right. I think some folks going into the backcountry or into some of these small streams have false expectations about what the reality is. And mm -hmm. I tell people, I'm like, look, just because it's a small stream and the fish may not have seen many flies doesn't mean if there's a, you know, a, a very strong hatch, you shouldn't yeah. fish that pattern. So it does yeah. teach, it should teach you, you know, entomology and proper fly selection. And sure, you know, you, you can get the right situation where you can toss pretty much, you feel like about anything and, and the fish will eat. But from my experience, that hasn't always been the case, um, especially out here. I feel like the cutthroats have been, you know, if they're eating grasshoppers, well, they don't want to Adams. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they want to, they want a grasshopper. So yeah. somebody could just pretend like, oh, I just need an Adams yeah. for this mountain stream and not have success. You still need to approach it thinking properly, so to say. Yeah, I feel like you can approach it in many different ways with m many different tactics, but those tactics still need to be good. Um, I will say they don't have to be super precise. Or we talked about we talk all the time about getting perfect drifts because these trout are really selective. There's definitely more willing fish. You'd agree with that, right, Matt? Absolutely, especially willing to eat a dry fly. Right on. Yes, you can prospect with a dry fly, and there'll be you don't see risers. You just you just prospect right. in the water. Yeah, they're certainly more willing. And yet, I've just had the experience hundreds of times where I am using one fly and then I switch to another. I'm like, oh, that, that made a difference. Right, it might be like right. switching to your hopper, like you're saying there, Matt. And yep. so you'll catch them. But boy, if you continue to try to uh, solve the mystery, it's, like, it's not like there's no puzzle out there. We talk about one of the things we enjoy about fishing in general is we're out there to solve the daily puzzle. There's still a puzzle. And you can still sure. get, it's often it's what water type are they sitting in and how many, for me, I remember, especially when I was exploring new waters, the fish commission used to, our fish commission used to list class A, B, C, and D. And now they have just a wild reproduction list. And then there's also class A list. Fair enough. And I used to explore the C and D waters and there are still plenty of fish in there. 
I noticed that I kind of needed to find, again, the areas that they were sitting in, which isn't unusual at all. That's kind of what we do day to day. And yet in those class A small stream waters, they were kind of, I mean, they were really in a lot of different places, eh, right time of the year yeah. and all that too. You got to have the right water flows. For the most part, they're not that selective. And, and that's kind of part of the fun of it, a, a big part of the fun of it. Yep. A more pure experience. Absolutely. That brings up another question I have uh, seasonality wise. Like you take a brook trout stream in June or July and those fish are pretty willing. They're eager to eat a dry fly. Yeah. And you go back the same time in February when there's snow melting into the stream and it's frigid cold. And you think, man, there's no fish in this stream. Yeah. But you know, there are. Sometimes those, those small streams, be it whether whatever's in them, can be the most challenging to fish for me in the dead of winter versus some of our bigger limestoners. I know. You guys have the same experience? I have. You know, I lived I lived in a mountainous region in southwest Pennsylvania and ended up having cabin fever at times and would go explore those same type streams you're talking about, Austin. Yeah. And, you know, we'd have limited success on the woolly buggers, right. you know, just kind of like slow stripping mm-hmm. woolly buggers in the deeper pools. But I've never had the same type of catch rate success that I did in the summer. And I no. think it was more of a different experience in the winter. You know, it's still, yeah, a, it's a different one and it's, it's all awesome. Just the same way summer is. And even more so it's that lonely, mm. uh, winter feeling that oh, I would yeah. seek. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. The summer would always add in the catch enjoyment but the winter i always <laughs> joked if you saw someone blue lining in the winter man you they're yes. looking for something not the fish i like that that's a great that's point looking the lonely man in the winter fishing yeah yeah the winter for me <laughs> winter small stream fishing again i keep talking about going north of here and fishing all those systems up there it is slow uh austin josh and i went up Oh, maybe, I think it was last winter. At the most, it was two winters ago. And mm-hmm. I think we, between the two of us, caught like three fish. And I feel like yeah. every, every one of them was an accident, you know. <laughs> Didn't lucky. get anything going. And yeah, it's just, it's, the, it's, it's just because the waters are so cold. Yeah. And I don't think anybody can go up there and just, oh, here, I got to figure it out. I don't think there's anything to figure out. I think they're just sitting tight. We've talked about that, you know, on the winter, on the winter uh, skills series, Austin, mm-hmm. you and I did quite a bit on like water temperatures are a big deal in freestone streams. You can't really force feed them. Yeah. Some of that stuff obviously freezes over, you know, (laughs) you got to watch out for that too. I don't know. It's a lot different in the winter versus the spring, summer, fall. Hey, anything else guys? What do we have? What do we miss? Just to follow up from Austin's question about why, right? Why these places don't get more famous. Mm. And I, as I've had time to kind of think about it, I we can all agree, right? The, the the average angler might, if they're lucky, spend a dozen days out on the water um, in a year, right? Mm, if okay. if that, and yeah. y- you know, it's uncomfortable to think you're going to spend you, as in these anglers, are going to spend one of those days doing something they're not comfortable with. And I, I'm sure. a firm believer in that. Um, they're going to know, they're going to go to what's known and, and what everybody talks about. Um, yeah. And I'm not necessarily even bashing them for that. Yeah, that's not right? bad. I yeah. mean, you want, you got 10 days to fish and you want to go to the stuff you're familiar with. 
you know, that's okay. But I think that leads into why these small streams will never get that much steam or or that, that crowded because I do think it, it, it's, it attracts a certain angler. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, you know, everybody listening, if, you know, they want to do something different this year. I mean, that's one thing I think we all could agree. Go try that, you know, do what Dom's saying, drive up to a campground in a, in a state game land or a forest and just take the day and explore solo on one of these blue lines. And we're not talking like, you know, the ones that are really, that a dirt road follows. You know, we're talking Mm -hmm. about one that requires some map navigation Sure. And off the beaten path type thing. That that's the experience I think that we're talking about. And you know, maybe it rewards that individual, maybe it doesn't, but I think any serious fly fisherman should have that experience mm-hmm. at least a handful of times during their angling career. And you might fall Still. in love with it too. Yeah. There's no question, right? I mean, there's a reason we love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt, I think Small stream fishing is very much like night fishing. People are interested in it, but they won't very much go do it. And that has to do with, again, with time. It's very difficult to find the time to actually go night fishing very much and learn something. It's just, it's, it's the opposite of when you're supposed to be, you know, out there fishing. Night fishing is intriguing. It's, it's captivating to people. I see the response on the articles and the podcasts we've done. Like, people are interested in it. Same thing here. People like the idea of small stream fishing. And yet, again, if you're only out there 10 or maybe 20 days a year, you're afraid to waste the time. And that's very fair. Like, I understand that. You're trying to do the thing that you think, well, I'm sure the trout are going to be here. And they're right there. And that's where this other guy's parked. And he's fishing over there. I'll go, you know, 100 yards below him and fish because I know there's fish in here or I fished it before my buddy fished it I'm not saying you always want to do the easy thing but you want to do kind of the for sure thing you want to take some of those variables out and go like well I know the fish are here and I know how the fly shop said that I should be able to catch them and here's the patterns so I'm going to fish here and you kind of there is some I don't know I don't know if it's fear that some hesitation to go fish the small stuff and to be an explorer and who the things we're talking about but if you fish long enough I think everybody that I know Gets, they feel that draw. They feel that pull into those small streams. And it is for all the reasons we started out talking about, the solitude and that purity of experience. Because you want to be an explorer. Because you like hiking and a, you know catching the wild fish. All those things will draw you into it. And if you feel that draw, I'd say go get it. You know? Sure. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Hey, uh, Austin, will you read us out? Love to. So remember, the Trout Bitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Trout Bitten website hosts over 1,000 articles with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. Be sure to find the Trout Bitten YouTube channel, currently featuring the Trout Bitten Tip Series in collaboration with Wilds Media. These are short, useful, and unique tips for your fly fishing life. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment, because it really helps. Till next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water.
Hey now. Oh my goodness. I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, Giddy up. Giddy up. Hey, this is Mr. Trevor. It's Doctor. Hey now.